Hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast, where we are all about cultivating consciousness in the digital age. Let's get going. to episode four of the Nature Unplugged podcast. Uh, here we are all about consciousness in the digital age. And for this episode, we're going to mix things up a little bit. Normally, I'm joined by my trusty sidekick, Sonia Mohammed. Uh, and today, it's just going to be me, Sebastian Sloven, here with you. Uh, but nevertheless, we have a great show for you. Today is going to be all about basically my story, why I am doing what the work I'm doing with Nature Unplugged and my why behind Nature Unplugged. So I'm going to share a little bit about that. So we're going to get right into it. Hopefully this gives you all uh, more context for why I do what I do and my passion behind it. And I want to give a little uh, kind of a heads up uh, slash warning for this episode. Uh, I'm going to be talking about my background, my upbringing, and part of that involves, or a big part of that involves losing my father to suicide at a young age. So I'm going to be delving into that. Um, just a heads up. Uh, so this, this episode is going to be a little bit on the heavier side. However, the, I think the overall message is very much one of hope and life affirming, but just wanted to give a little caveat there. So I recently wrote a book, wrote and released a book. It's called Ashes in the Ocean a son's story of living through and learning from his father's suicide. I released that a few months ago, and it took me several years to to create, and I'm very proud of uh, now it's out there in the world. And um, in addition to my work at Nature Unplugged, I am going around and speaking, uh, sharing my story in with the hope of breaking down the stigma around suicide and mental health, and ultimately with the, the message of of wellness and hope moving forward. So I'm going to give a little bit of um, kind of an overview of the book or share kind of a uh, my version of it audio style. So my uh, my father, his name was Vernon Sloven. He grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. And from an early age, he was just this incredible athlete, kind of excelled in a lot of different sports, rugby, cricket, uh, these funny British sports, and and also swimming. And I think his main focus was on swimming. From a very early age, he competed at a high level. He worked his way up the ranks, and when he was a teenager, he, w- he made the South African international team. So it was sort of like a rock star from a young age, traveling around the world, competing in different uh, with the top athletes from different parts of the world. And that gave him an opportunity. He was scouted by an American swim coach from Southern Methodist University, and they offered him a scholarship to come out to Dallas, Texas when he was uh, 19 years old. So that was his ticket to the States. Uh, he he came and swam as an All-American at SMU, and after finishing up his studies, he, you know, he wanted to stay in America. He felt like there was a great deal of promise and potential for him there, or for him here. And he looked at the United States from a geographical perspective and kind of pinpointed San Diego and La Jolla in particular as the place that was most like Cape Town. So he moved to La Jolla and he's kind of the beginning of a wave of South African 
uh, especially specifically Cape Town folks who came, who immigrated to uh, La Jolla and San Diego. So my dad ended up in La Jolla. My mom grew up in Los Angeles, and she was down in San Diego in La Jolla working as a speech and language therapist. And one of her favorite things to do was, after work, go swim at the La Jolla Cove and uh, hang out on the beach on the weekends and things like that. And that was my, my dad's thing, too. He would swim the La Jolla Cove every day after work. And in downtime, he'd hang out at you know various beaches in La Jolla. Windensee Beach was, I think, his favorite. And when my mom and dad met one day at Windensee Beach, and uh, you know, a little while later, I was in the mix. A little kid. <laughs> and... Uh, I had really a an incredibly uh, fortunate upbringing. I think you know my dad made a lot of money. Uh, we had a big house right by the beach. Two loving parents. A lot of my early days were spent mixing it up, you know, on the beach, crawling around in the sand, getting tumbled around by the shore break. My mom would often take me down to the beach, and then later when my dad got off work, he'd come down. He'd come down and hang out with me in the water and. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite memories from early on was, this is even before I could really swim, my dad would take me out in the water, particularly at La Jolla Cove, and I'd hold on to, hold on around his neck, and he would swim way out, kind of from the cove into the deeper water, and he'd swim butterfly stroke, which was his specialty. So butterfly stroke, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of both arms going at the same time, dolphin kick both arms going at the same time, you're kind of going up and down, up and down. And I remember just being sort of freaked out and in awe of, I think, how powerful my dad was. You know, I would have to time my breathing just right and, you know, breathe in as I, we came up and hold my breath as we went under. And it was this incredible um, time for me and memory for me. And, um, you know, even though I was freaked out of being out in the deep water, uh, when I was with my dad, it was... It was like nothing bad could happen to me. There was no fear there. And you know, that was, I think, a, I think, a good way to describe him. It was just this sort of heroic, superhero-like figure, you know, su- swimming superhero. And while on the surface we had it all together, you know, the monetary, uh, financial stuff was all in order. I think from the outside it looked like you know, my parents were a perfect couple. And a little while later, my sister was in the mix as well. Behind the scenes, my dad was struggling in a number of ways. He did a great job of keeping a lot of this to himself, but he was struggling with uh, some mental health stuff. He he eventually lost some money, and that was kind of a catalyst for um, some of the stuff becoming more out in the open, his mental health issues. He decided that La Jolla was no longer the place to be, and we he wanted to sort of start over somewhere new. So we moved to Australia as a family. I was like five years old at the time. My little sister was like two and went and tried to start over in in Australia. And it, this is the kind of thing that happened where we, we'd get to some place. My dad would look for jobs or get a job. We'd settle in for a little bit, and then there was somewhere else that he wanted to go. So this happened at a number of different cities. You know, over the course of this time, it's like one big adventure for me, but for my mom, she's becoming more aware of my dad's, uh, I guess, struggles with mental health and depression. We end up moving back to the United States uh, after about uh, nearly a year in Australia. By this point, my dad's 
not doing very well at all. He ends up continuing to kind of go downhill, ends up in the hospital, the psychiatric uh, or behavioral health unit uh, at here in San Diego. He's in and out of there. Eventually, he he has it in his mind that he wants to go back to Australia again, second time. And at this point, my mom's like, you know what? Uh, we've tried this. Didn't work out. I have two little kids. Uh, we need money. We need stability. And I'm going to stay here with the kids. You can go back if you want to. If you do want to stay, if you find a job you like and you want to stay, we'll come with you. But make sure you want to stay there before we all uh, go back. So my dad goes back. And a few weeks later, he uh, takes his own life. And this is a, you know, it's a major, major shift for us. Everything changes after my dad dies. Obviously, our family dynamic changes quite a bit. I think for me, my personal response uh, out of survival was to just kind of shut down. I put up a wall. I didn't talk about my dad. I certainly didn't talk about his death. I kind of tried my hardest to not feel all the overwhelming emotions that were coming up for me, the, the you know, incredible sense of sadness and loss and anger and all these, all these things that were coming up. I just kind of put up a wall. You know, I was, my mom described me as being really incredibly outgoing and curious before my dad's death and then more isolated and quiet after. Our family dynamic changed. Uh, my mom did an incredible job of, of stepping up and providing for my sister and I. My dad, when he died, left us in a pretty bad financial place. And so my mom did an incredible job of working multiple jobs uh, to, to provide. And as a result of that, she was gone a lot more. As a, having a little sister, I stepped in to kind of fill the role, more of a parental role for my, for my sister. So our dynamic changed quite a bit. Um, and it was just, it was the life I knew before that. This was like a total, it was like a, the world had been flipped upside down. It was you know completely carefree beach adventure before. And now it was, I had responsibilities. My dad was dead. My hero was dead. And I didn't really like this new, this new world. As I get older, and I'm more aware of what suicide is and the, the stigma around it, I, it, become, it starts to weigh on me more and more. I certainly never, I didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it really as a family and I didn't talk about it outside of our house either, but it was something I thought about uh, almost constantly. And, you know, all these questions started to come up, like, why did this happen to my dad? You know, was there something wrong with me by association? Because I couldn't talk about it, it became this sort of this like monster that was growing in me. And I, and I very much felt that if things didn't work out right for me, or if I ran into a really tough time, that, that w- I was going to follow in my father's footsteps. That was the way out. I wasn't aware of this at the time, but looking back, this was, you know, my mindset was very victim mentality around this this event is totally dictating my life. So my teens, my teenage years were, were tough for me. I did my very best to, to look like I had it together on the outside, but underneath the surface, I was terrified. I was very fortunate to have something that I think saved my life, an outlet, and that was my relationship with the ocean. 
So when my dad died, he was cremated and we spread his ashes at the La Jolla Cove. This is the place I grew up. A lot of my memories of my dad were here, the place I learned how to swim. We spread his ashes there. And after that, you know, I always loved going to the beach, but after that, my, my uh, relationship with the ocean was completely different. Going to the beach was no longer just a fun thing. It was, it was you know, a spiritual experience for me. I saw my dad in the water, in the sand, in the animals that were there, the seagulls, the seals, and all that, the seaweed. He was part of that environment. And that was my opportunity in my mind to go and visit with my dad. And, you know, it was like no matter how bad things got on land, if I could get myself to the ocean, I was okay. It was like, you know, when I was with my dad when I was younger, even if I was scared, I was okay in the ocean and he would protect me. As a result of this this new relationship with the ocean, I became pretty much obsessed with the ocean and spent as much time as I could in the water. After school, I'd be in the water. On the weekends, I'd be in the water. As much as I, as much as I could, I would be in the water. I, be, I got really into bodyboarding, which is, if you're familiar with boogie boarding, that's the same thing. Bodyboarding is sort of the... Uh, the more proper term, uh, and it's, you know, it's it's sort of like surfing, but you know a lot of people look at it as a less cool version of surfing. I think it's super cool, but I'm just saying um, there might be some surfers out there thinking about bodyboarding. Anyhow, got really into bodyboarding. It became um, uh, something I excelled in. I started to compete uh, in middle school and high school, and did well in that realm. And you know while my life wasn't going well on land. Uh, I, that was a place where I, I uh, succeeded and, and it was a huge refuge for me being out in the water. And it provided some opportunities as well. When I was a senior in high school, so my last year at high school, I was 17 years old, I had the opportunity to travel to Australia, to back to Australia to visit with some of my family, my dad's friends, friends and family, and also a chance to bodyboard some of the great waves in Australia. I remember going into this trip, I was super excited for the opportunity to bodyboard, but I was pretty nervous and freaked out that this was gonna be a trip where I would need to confront my past, as in talk about my dad's suicide and and kind of deal with this. Um, I was going to Perth, This is Perth was where my dad died, and uh, when I went to Perth, I stayed with um, some really good family friends, John David and Sarah Kennedy. John David and my father grew up together in South Africa. They had swam with each other, competed against each other, and had maintained this wonderful friendship many years down the road, even though they were often living in different parts of the world. And the first day that I'm there, basically right when I, uh, shortly after I arrived, John David asked me if I want to go out for a walk to explore the neighborhood and catch up. And the last time I had seen John David was when I was about five years old, when we were when our family was in Australia the last time around. So here we are, a few about twelve years later. And again, I'm I'm you know eager to connect with him and nervous that the to- the topic of my dad is going to come up. So we go on this walk, and it's this beautiful neighborhood. If you've ever been to Perth, it's like it's a stunning city. Walking through the neighborhood, and we go down by this. Um, down toward this river, the Canning River, which is uh, nearby, and it's really spectacular. And a few, you know, we're kind of uh, making small talk for the first few minutes, and then sure enough, John David jumps right into talking about my dad. 
and he shares with me how 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 difficult his death was on you know on his family how big of a loss it was and how he knew it was so tough on on us uh myself and my sister and my mom and i kind of just was tense and and didn't talk but just listened and he you know shared you know all these memories that he had with my dad and and just how much my dad meant to him and it was really really touching and i wasn't really i wasn't ready to talk about it but i was okay you know listening for that time and then john david shared something with me that changed my life forever and that was he told he told me that when he was a boy his father so john david's father took his own life and he started to talk and share about it quite openly about how about the challenges he faced about the stigma he faced in his community um, how you know everyone in his community knew about his dad, but no one would talk about it. He certainly didn't talk about it, and that this weighed on him over the years. Of you know, he kept it all to himself, as very much as I was doing, and it weighed on him and weighed on him. And you know, and eventually he came to a place of of facing it and processing it. Years later, I think he was in his his early thirties or something when he when he first started to talk about it, and. You know, something really incredible happened for me after he shared or when he was sharing was that I not only felt like I could talk about my dad, that, but I felt like I wanted to open up and talk about it. You know, here was someone who had been through what I had been through, come out the other side. He knew what I, you know, he knew what I was going through. And so I, I opened up and started talking about all the things I had been, I had been worried about and holding on to. And it was this incredibly cathartic experience to be able to talk for the really for the first time so freely about this you know I felt like I was breathing I felt like I was walking more upright breathing easier it was this you know it was scary for me but it was incredibly I think healing and we have this we have this magical conversation walking along the river and at the end of the conversation John David challenged me into not only facing what I'd been running away from, but to see what I could learn from it. You know, I think that was the first time where I think he he was able to to plant the seed that this this thing in my past, this loss or trauma, did not have to dictate my present or my future. That I could that I had choice and that um you know I can learn from this and move through this. And it wasn't just a you know kind of like a death sentence as as I had been looking at it and it was really incredible it was something that it kind of this thing that I had been running away from and terrified of to something that I was now beginning to be curious about I left I ended up having an incredible trip in Australia got some incredible waves had some amazing conversations and on my way home I made a list of the long flight from Perth to the Gold Coast back to Los Angeles I made a list of all the people in my life who who I knew who had some relationship with my dad. They could be business partners or other family members or friends. And I set out to go and you know, see what I could learn about my dad and about why this happened. Even though this was something I thought about a lot, there, I, I really knew very little about my dad and I knew even less about kind of what led to his, his suicide. So I set on this journey and 
it was a very, uh, this wasn't something that I just went, went back and kind of <laughs> checked off the boxes and, and had all these conversations and, you know, uh, and then I was good to go. These were very difficult conversations. I started talking, I think my first one was with, um, business partner of my father's a guy named Reed Thompson, who passed away, uh, several months ago. You know, these conver- this conversation was you know, full of a lot of tears, a lot of anger, and that's how many of them were. But with each conversation, I gained a little bit of comp- a little more confidence in my ability to handle this topic and this all this stuff. And I think this was really my process of learning how to feel again. Also, the timing was worked out perfectly. I just had finished high school, or was finishing high school, and I wasn't going to college. I was. I did have the opportunity to uh, travel as a professional bodyboarder, so that was pretty cool. And I made it kind of. I made it my mission to combine my bodyboarding with this sort of research project that I was on about my dad. I was able to go back to Australia a couple of years later. I was able to eventually go to South Africa, and over the course of five or so years, had dozens of conversations and came away with some incredible, not only learning how to feel again, but some incredible teachings and lessons. And it was really like these, these life lessons or themes that I, that I was able to take away from, uh, from my father. So I'll share a few of them with you now. I go through this in more detail in the book, but I'm just going to give you a a brief, y'all a brief overview here. So one of the first lessons, uh, I learned from these conversations uh, about my dad and his life was that the importance of taking time to slow down. And it would seem like my dad, my dad took what worked well for him in the swimming pool and applied that to the rest of his life. So in the swimming pool, it was put your head down, charge forward as fast as you can, you know, get to the finish line before everyone, before anyone else. And, um, you know, set a goal, charge forward to it, set another goal, charge to it. And it became apparent that my dad took very little time to, A, enjoy the process, and B, uh, to celebrate or appreciate what he achieved when he reached his goals. So it was always on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And I think this, on the one hand, allowed him to achieve a great deal, you know, really great success in swimming and in you know, financial success for, for a long time. Um, but in the end, he was sort of just on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And it was a great reminder for me to you know, know the importance of goal setting and striving for things uh, and enjoy the process and enjoy once I reach those goals. So that was the first lesson was to slow down. The second one which came through very clearly in the conversations was um, that it became really apparent that my dad placed a great deal of his, of importance and value on his looks, his physical ability, his financial status. And my dad, you know, for the most part, he was, uh, he was a good looking guy. He had this incredible physical ability and he was making lots of money for a time. But it was, it was clear that his sense of value, his personal sense of value and self-worth was kind of wrapped up uh, in those external things. So it was a reminder for me, the lesson here was to focus on you know, internal motivation, intrinsic motivation, as opposed to 
purely the external or extrinsic forms of motivation. And again, similar to the last one where, you know, it is important. The external stuff is important, you know, money, looks, all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, this was a reminder for me to check in and, you know, ask myself, like, why am I doing what I'm, what I'm doing? Is it purely for the paycheck or for the promotion or whatever, or the, the trophy? Or is there some sort of like sense of internal motivation? Like this is for personal growth or for cultivating relationships or uh, for helping others, things like that. So this lesson was focusing on intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic motivation. Another lesson that I took away from this journey was uh, the importance of making friends with reality. It seemed that my dad spent a great deal of his time and energy resisting or fighting with what is. You know, this showed up in a number of ways. I think most noticeably in this, he had this incredible vision for his future utopia. And it was, you know, this big house uh, near the beach in a place with not a lot of people that was safe and clean and uh, suitable to raise a family and also had an incredible uh, economy so he could make good money and all these things. And when it seemed like his dream wasn't, when, when reality wasn't cooperating with his dream or wasn't kind of turning out the same way, there was a great deal of of resistance. I think it's important to point out that, you know, not saying be complacent and just accept everything, you know, as it is. I'm saying the things that are out of your control, you know, practicing acceptance uh, was something that, that I think learning about my dad was a great reminder for me to practice this. You know, for example, uh, things like the stock market or traffic, if you're stuck in it. Um, these are things that are out of our control. And I think that um, in the long run, it's much easier and more peaceful to make friends with what is rather than opposing it. You know, when I set out on this journey, I thought I was looking for lessons to help save me from going down the same path as my dad saved me from suicide. And in the end, I came to see that the lessons I learned and the takeaways were really, you know, ways to help me live well and to live a lighter and fuller future. And in that way, my dad became, you know, my greatest teacher, you know, that I could have ever asked for. And a big part of my work with uh, writing the book and putting the book out there is to help, you know, I wanted to share the lessons I learned and to help other folks who have lost uh, family members or friends to suicide. You know, my intention is really, or was really to do for others what John David did for me in that conversation in Australia. And that's really to to have the courage to begin the conversation and to create space for difficult topics and conversations around things like suicide and mental health. And I think really this is about having these conversations in order to break down the stigma around these topics. Also to help others realize, as John David did for me, that you know, if you're going through something like this, you're not alone in dealing with this. You know, you're only alone if you if you are, you know, isolating and not talking about it. So there are other people out there who have who have been through this and there are people who can help. That's an overview of you know a big part of my my journey and a bit more about my book, Ashes in the Ocean. And 
this relates very much to Nature Unplugged. You know, our work at Nature Unplugged is really about wellness. And again, it's that, that early connection I had with the ocean and that relationship with, you know, seeing the the ocean as a, as a teacher or seeing nature as a teacher and as a healer uh, has been a real big uh, inspiration and motivation for doing the work we do with Nature Unplugged, whether that's talking about mindfulness and mindful practice, um, you know, working with different types of mindset, getting out and, and making sure getting enough movement and play and bringing this sort of lighthearted energy to um, our day-to-day. You know, it's all, I think, every aspect of the work at Nature Unplugged is infused for me with this um, this passion that is around uh, my experience with my with my father and learning from him. And I think in this way, it's you know my way of honoring my dad. You know, I have a great deal of of love for him, and he continues to inspire and uh, teach me to this day. So that's it for this episode of the Nature Unplugged podcast. We I, I really appreciate you being here with us and listening. Again, this one a little bit on the heavier side, and uh, you know they're not all, all going to be this way. Like in general, it's going to be a a lighter tone. But I and I also think these conversations are very very important. So um, be sure to check out some of the other episodes. I uh, really appreciate you listening and. Uh, please take a moment to, if you like what you hear, uh, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Uh, you can also find our other episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. For more information also, be sure to visit natureunplugged.com for more information and resources. And you can also reach out to, to us directly from that site. We, you know, Let us know if you have any questions or comments or feedback ideas for future shows or potential guests. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, thanks so much for being here. We will see you soon. If you think you should go, I will let you go. Oh!